So today's scripture reading is from Matthew 1, chapter uh, verses 18 to 25. You can follow along in your own Bibles or phones or just follow along on the screen. Um, again, the passage today is from Matthew 1, 18 to 25. Uh, I'll be reading from the NIV, the new version, if you care. Um, all right. Again, Matthew 1, 18 to 25. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had, uh, after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. May God bless the reading of his word. Amen. Well, I hope you had a good time yesterday with your family and friends uh, and Christmas celebrating the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ, God becoming flesh incarnate uh, among us, and celebrating not only his coming, but the hope and the peace and the love and the joy that we have in Jesus because he did come and because of the hope we now have in salvation that he offers through faith in him. You know, it's essential for us to understand this truth of God's presence with us, that he dwells among us, and how then we can have life with him as followers of Jesus. It's not just that we live our lives for God, but we live our lives with God. And this is going to be the, the focus of our message today. Um, because I was thinking, as we look forward to 2022, uh, it's almost two years now, almost, that we've been in this pandemic. And we're tired of wearing masks. You know, I'm tired of my mask getting stuck on this thing when I'm trying to take it off. We're tired of limiting our activities, of being limited by traveling, where we can travel, who we can see, do we need to be tested or not. We're just tired of this. Aren't you tired of it? Yeah, amen. We're tired of this. And then when we look at this 2022 with now Omicron here and you know the new variants that might come later and all this stuff, we're thinking like, oh my goodness, are we still going to ever be out of this pandemic? You know, is there still going to be limitations on us like we've been experiencing for the last almost two years? You know, where is our hope? If our, ultimately, what are we looking forward to next year or in the years to come? 
What are we looking forward to? If it is the end of this pandemic, we may be disappointed again. Now, I don't mean to be depressing uh, now, um, but that's the reality that's facing us still, isn't it? We thought after three months when it started that, yeah, you know, we'll maybe have some hardship for three months, but here we are, almost two years later, still dealing with this in some way. And it's, it's I don't mean to be pressing, depressing, but I want to make a point that what is secure in life? Where do we place our security and our hope in life? Uh, because what in life is secure? Nothing, really, if you think about it. Nothing is secure. Only God is secure and gives us hope and is dependable. Only the living God is the one that we can have hope in. Everything else in life comes to an end. So the real question is, what in life do we really treasure? Because where our treasure is, that's where our heart is. That's where our security is. That's where our hope is. Is it in the end of the pandemic that finally this pandemic will be done with? Uh, I've been disappointed a few times when I've started to put my hope in that. I don't know about you guys. (laughs) And so whether it ends or whether it doesn't, or maybe the end will never end, but life will become something different, whatever it is, but if our hope is in that, we're going to be pretty disappointed. So ask yourself now, what do I really treasure? Do I really treasure God himself? Do I? That's our text today in Matthew 1, verses 18 through 25, which Nathan just read for us, is a traditional Christmas text, and for good reason, because it's one of the gospel accounts of the, of the birth of Jesus. But today, we're not going to focus on the whole account. We're just focusing on the prophecy that was mentioned in this account in verses 22 and 23. Uh, my clicker's not working. There we go. Okay. And that, those verses say, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which, and there's this little commentary that uh, is put there, which means God with us. Now, this prophecy was given to the prophet Isaiah some um, amazingly 700 years before Jesus was born. I mean, that's a long time, 700 years. We think two years has been a long time. I think it's 700 years. And it speaks of this truth that God is with us. His presence is with us, and it is fulfilled in the person of Jesus and God has been with us from the very beginning of time, we see in the scriptures, and, and his desire has always been to be with us, his creation, his people. But people chose not to be with him. And starting, this started with Adam and Eve. So the, this truth that God is with us, Emmanuel, it started right in, from the very beginning in Genesis, and it just continues to be woven throughout all of the scriptures all the way until Revelations. It starts, if you think about it, in Genesis, God actually walked into the garden, we, we read, with Adam and Eve. But then Adam and Eve fled his presence for they were ashamed of their nakedness because they had eaten of the forbidden tree. And so he was among them, but then they fled his presence. And then later, much later, God saved the people of Israel, if you remember, from slavery in Egypt. 
And he brought them out of Egypt and, he, and then they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. And how did he demonstrate that he was with them? But he did so by a pillar of cloud in the day and a pillar of fire in night. And then he had them build in that first year out of Egypt this tabernacle, this tent of meeting called. And there in that tent, his dwelling was in the Holy of Holies. So God, in multiple ways, was trying to teach his people, I am with you. And he's giving them some very physical ways to remind them of this daily. And they were to worship him there at the tabernacle. And then later, when the Israelites were supposed to enter the promised land, that they had been given this promise, and why they were brought out of Egypt, and Joshua was the leader at that time. And this is what God said to Joshua before entering. Whoops. Oh, it's working now. Okay. I've got it. Um, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. And then much later, the prophet Isaiah prophesied, which is mentioned in Matthew. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign, and the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and will call him Emmanuel. And then Jesus was born, God in the flesh, to dwell among us. And then as the Gospel of John states, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, with us. And the Apostle Paul wrote later of Jesus, saying, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. Amazing. And then the last words of Jesus, do you remember that he spoke to his disciples? The very last sentence. What did he say? He promised, And surely I am with you, always, to the very end of the age. God with us. Spans. And it continues on. After Jesus' resurrection and ascension, he sent his spirit to dwell in the hearts of his followers. Those who trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior, that he was risen, God the Son, risen from the dead. As Romans 8, 9 says, You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. God's Spirit dwells with His people and in His people now through Christ Jesus and the faith we have in Him. So therefore, together as followers, if you think about it, as in the Old Testament where God's Spirit dwelled in the tabernacle, this tent, and then later in the temple that they built, now we, the people of God, are the temple of God because He now dwells within us. His people. We are God's temple, where His presence dwells. So God in Christ is with us and in us now. And then the description of the new heaven and the new earth. In Revelations chapter 21, verse 3 says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and He will dwell with them. They will be His people, and God Himself will be with them and be their God. And here is this vision of all things being made new, so there won't be any. The world is recreated. There is no more deaths and decay and violence and sin present in the world because God has brought his kingdom and established it fully on earth. What a future we have in the Lord Jesus. What a presence we have with the Lord Jesus because he is here with us 
and he is in us through faith in him. Emmanuel, God with us. So the truth that God is always with us and in us that as followers of Jesus, that is the truth that we can live by. God has always desired this relationship with his people. Always, from the very beginning with Adam and Eve. And this is why he desires to be among us and with us and in us is because of his love for us. Because God is love, we hear in 1 John. That's just his nature. He loves. He can't help it. <laughs> he loves you. He just can't help it. He adores you and me. And he wants to be in a relationship with you. He doesn't want us being busy doing things that really keep us away from him. But he wants us to just simply be with him because he's always with us. So when we live by this truth, we experience three things. And the first is that God is with us, humbles us. It humbles us. James 4.10 mentions this. It says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. You know, often at night, well, almost every night, I think pretty much every night, I have to take my dog out to my front yard to go pee, right? And oftentimes the sky's clear. And when I look up at the stars while she's doing her business, I just stand there like this, wondering what my neighbors think, you know. <laughs> this guy looking up and I'm humbled every time I look at the stars because I, I love looking at the stars. I don't know what it is, but it's just, I feel so small when you look up at the heavens. And then because of my technical mind, I always think of like that I'm looking at the past because light takes so long to travel to me and the distances between me and those stars I'm looking at, it just boggles my mind and then I feel even smaller. And then when I think like, God, you created this reality that I'm looking at and I'm just humbled again by the greatness of my God who created these stars that exist, I mean, they're so far from me, and then that's only what I can see, and I know there's a lot more that I can't see and that are farther away, and I'm humbled by his greatness. You see, humility is simply accepting the truth about ourselves in light of who God is. That's all it is, and that humbles us. And to think that he is with us, that he is in us, this creator God that created the universe, that humbles us. Micah 6.8 says, the Lord tells us, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. What does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. The truth that the Creator God, who loves us, is with us, humbles us when we live in that truth. And then also the truth that God is with us comforts us. It comforts us. King David wrote of this comfort in his famous Psalm 23, if you remember this part of that psalm. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. See, life with God, knowing he is with us, takes away our fear of death. Because death is our greatest fear, if we think about it. Uh, the end, the unknown, it seems. If what we treasure most can never be taken away from us, and that being God himself, who is the ultimate source of life himself, then we have nothing to fear. And in fact, it takes that, 
death, which is usually our greatest fear, and it transforms it into a moment of anticipation. Like, the end of my race is here. What glory waits for me on the other side? Instead of being fearful, we're like anxious, like, whoa, the time is getting close. This is exciting. Of course, I throw in a prayer like, please don't make it too painful. <laughs> you know. But whatever, if we can go and face it without any fear. And this is why the Apostle Paul could declare from prison of all places, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Because he had that thought. God's comfort because God is with him. And he'll be with him after death too. And then, and why Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a pastor and a conspirator against Hitler to assassinate Hitler, though he was arrested for that, could say moments before his execution by the Nazis, quote, this is the end, for me, the beginning of life. And then he was killed. The hope, the comfort we have in trusting that God who loves us is with us, always. Even in times of hardship, especially in times of hardship, we can be comforted by this truth. I remember the day my father died, you know, many years ago now. But the thing I remember about that horrible day that sticks in my mind now, so many years later, is my good friend John. And he was just with me that day. I remember most of the day, he was with me. I can't remember anything he said. I can't remember really anything he did. But I just remember he was just everywhere. <laughs> I went, he was there. He just stuck with me that day. And to know that my friend who loved me and cared for me dearly was with me during that horrible day, it was comforting. And it still comforts me to this day. And even more so to think that our loving God, Creator, Savior, Redeemer is with us and in us should comfort us. It brings comfort when we live in this truth. And then lastly, the truth that God is with us empowers us and gives us confidence in life. An example of this is a well-known story, if you've grown up in church, of the young man David, who later became king of Israel, when he volunteered to fight this huge warrior Goliath. You know, sometimes you call him the giant because he's like nine feet tall. And David said to King Saul before he fought him, he said, the Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. And then Saul said to David, go, and the Lord be with you. Because they all knew if God wasn't with him, David's going to get crushed. <laughs> He's just this little guy, no experience. See, if God is with us and for us, who can be against us? They may kill the body, but they don't touch our soul. We will live forever. We don't fear death, and we know God has the power to overcome evil whenever he chooses to. And ultimately, he will in the end. Here's a more recent example of this confidence that is given to us when we know God is with us. On the night of January 27, 1956, so still a little while ago, but Martin Luther King Jr. heard two voices. You guys remember who that is? Martin Luther King Jr.? Hopefully. The first voice came when a telephone call awakened him in the middle of the night. And it said, 
if we tired of you and your mess, if you ain't out of this town in three days, we're going to blow your brains out and blow up your house. Click. That was it in the middle of the night. Well, filled with fear. Uh, he was just a young preacher at the time, you know, not well known at all. And he was, he could not sleep. So instead he poured himself a cup of coffee. He sat at his kitchen table and he put his head in his hands and he was just, as he put it, he was paralyzed with fear. He was scared to death. And he was pondering at that moment, drinking his coffee, how could he escape Montgomery, the town where he would live, without looking too much like a coward? He, he, was, he was paralyzed with fear. And then King explained, I quote, I got to the point that I couldn't take it any longer. I was weak, end quote. And then he confessed his fear to God in prayer at the kitchen table. And he prayed this in the darkness of his kitchen. And that's when he heard, he says, the second voice. And it said something like, stand up for righteousness. Stand up for justice. Stand up for truth. And lo, I will be with you even until the end of the world. And King knew, he said at that moment, that that was the words of Jesus coming to him. And he had, this voice promised him never to leave him, never to leave him alone, that he was always with him to the very end of the age. And King knew that voice because it was Jesus' voice from the scriptures. And this voice convinced him that he could stand up without fear no matter what happens. And so his newfound courage then in God's presence at that moment was tested just four nights later when he was at a rally at his church in his town and his home was bombed uh, with his wife and his two-month-old daughter at home. And so he rushed home, and thankfully his wife and his child were okay, but shaken up, but his house, was the front of his house was destroyed. And then what would had happened is uh, people, you know, the explosion and the townspeople heard about it, and all these black citizens were surrounding his house, and they were angry, and they wanted to get revenge, and they had bats and sticks and knives and guns, and they were, they were ready to take action. And so King pushed himself through the crowd to stand on his smoldering, broken porch, and he signaled the crowd to be quiet, and he reminded them that those who do battle, he who lives by the sword shall perish by the sword. And then King said to the angry crowd, and this is a quote, I want you to love your enemies. Be good to them. Love them and let them know you love them. What we are doing is right. What we are doing is just. And God is with us. End quote. And the amazing thing in the people that were there is that the people started to cry and they dropped their weapons and then the crowd started to sing amazing grace of all things. It's an amazing thing, but this was not possible without what happened to King four nights earlier at the darkness of his kitchen when he heard the voice of God saying, I am with you. Stand up for what's right and I will be with you to the very end. You see, as followers of Jesus, we know God is with us. We know it, but oftentimes we don't live our hearts expressing it in our lives. We lack humility Often we lack comfort and peace in times of stress and difficulty and tragedy. 
We lack courage and confidence to stand up for Jesus no matter what comes our way. We lack these things. So how do we practice the presence of God? How do we commune with God? How do we live a life with God practically every day? Well, through prayer, we practice the presence of God and the life of God. This is the purpose of prayer. For Our communion with God is ongoing as we communicate with Him. And there are forms of prayer that can help us move merely from communicating with God to richly communing with Him in life. God desires us to be in relationship with Him because He loves us. And I I want you to hear that. It's because He wants to be in a relationship with you because He loves you, because He made you. You're His creation. I'm His creation. Well, Teresa of Avila, uh, I I came to be reading about her uh, in a book I'm reading now. And she's a 16th century Christian who taught about the inner life of prayer and communion with God. And I like what she presents because it's uh, after, it uses the metaphor of watering a garden. And it's, it, I need pictures to kind of remember things and help me understand how it works. And, and for example, not all prayer nourishes our souls uh, in the same way just as not all forms of watering a garden uh, are equally effective. So she describes four waters of prayer. See if you can relate to any of these. The first water of prayer is like hauling buckets from a well. Now, I don't haul buckets from a well, but just try to imagine this. We expend a great deal of energy, but it results in very little impact. And if you ever carried a bucket of water, it's always easier to have two buckets because you're, you're balanced then, but it's very heavy. And so this sort of praying puts the emphasis on our words, on our works, on our efforts, And rather than feeling refreshed, often we feel exhausted and wonder if prayer is even effective. And people who remain in this stage often find it hard to pray. We give up on praying. The second water of prayer is like attaching a rope and a pulley to a bucket. So the focus of prayer is still on our labor, but our labor now is a bit easier than actually (laughs) lifting the bucket up out of the well. And so the work becomes a bit easier, and we begin to then relinquish control in a sense. Rather than filling every moment with our words and our requests and our complaints, uh, we begin to slow down and experience moments of refreshing silence as part of our communion, communion with the Lord. The third water of prayer is like a stream irrigating the garden. And we become less hurried and find rest because the flow of water doesn't really depend on much on our work now. And periods of silence become more a common part of our prayers, where we're not just always jabbering to the Lord, but we're just listening, maybe meditating on God's word that we just read, pondering or listening for the God's voice to speak to us in some way. And in this sense, we not only we are not striving a specific outcome from our prayers, like, God, help you know, whatever, but we just are beginning to enjoy being in his presence. And then the fourth water is like rain. It is a total surrender to God and union with God in which we are like passive recipients of his grace through his presence with us. Uh, It is the kind of prayer that most effectively waters our gardens and refreshes our souls 
because it saturates our lives with the awareness of his love, that he dearly loves us. And when we can live in that truth, that he is with us and that he loves us, wow, that changes the way we will live. As Psalm 46, 10 and 11 say, Be still and know that I am God. The Lord Almighty is with us. But I have to admit, being still and silent does not come easy to me and, as I know, most people, because that's not how we live our lives, especially in today's world. Still and silence is hard, and to do it is a kind of surrender of control of our lives. You think about it. Just sitting there, listening, trying to hear God in the silence. For God to remind us of the truth of his word and what we have read recently. To wait, to have patience, and to just exist in the the realization that God, the living God, is in me and with me at this very moment, as he is right now with us, right now, and that we are deeply loved and that he is good all the time, right? And all the time he is good. There's never any time he is not good. So I wanted to share um, a song with you in closing today of the message. A little unusual, but we're going to just sit here and listen to a song that has been very encouraging to me. And it's You have to listen to this song because it focuses on the truth of God's presence with us. And the words that are sung in this song are are sung as if they are God speaking to us. So don't think of it as the singers saying this to us because it wouldn't make sense then. But it's God speaking to us saying that I am good and you are loved. And so the song is called Good and Loved by Travis Green and Stephanie Gritzinger. So go ahead and play that video. Turn it up. There's a story It's my fingerprint In the valley There is confidence In the shadow I will be your strength One thing's for sure your Lord. Yes, I am. I am, I am. Through the chaos, I will be your joy. When you're finished, I have so much more. And I'll 
Amen. Brothers and sisters, live in that truth. Let's pray. Lord, it is a mystery to us that you are God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, that you are incarnate and flesh, Lord Jesus, and yet your Spirit is with us and in us, And Lord, we can't grasp that in our heads when we think about it, but we live rejoicing in that truth because we experience the reality of your presence with us and in us. So Lord, we we throw ourselves at your feet and worship you, and we pray that, that this wonderful truth that we have by faith in Christ Jesus our Lord would permeate our minds and our hearts every moment of every day so that then we can be literally your light in this world to others to know this truth as well. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.